just first time actually I've gotten to come and be a part of joining your fellowship, the whole fellowship. I've had parts of the fellowship in New York um, working with us each year, and um, it's been such a blessing to um, have them come, but now just to be able to come and share with you and be able to be here. My daughter Anna is down here with Miss Debbie. Um, she made the trip with me. Um, there should be a picture of our family. Sarah and the boys didn't make it down this trip. We actually, I was coming down for, um, a, we gathered workers among Muslims from around the U.S., about 20, 25 people who are working t- directly with Muslims in the U.S., and we gathered them here to Jacksonville last Friday and had a, from 8.30 in the morning till 9 o'clock at night, one day meeting, learning from each other. Um, what's working and what's not working and who, what are you using and how are we seeing the gospel move and learn from each other so that we can go back to our places of ministry and be better. And so you guys have some really exciting things in Jacksonville happening. Um, we were, I know you've got, you guys work with World Relief some. There's also, where we were, it's called International Learning Center down off Powell Road. I think it's on Chester Road, so it's about 40, 45 minutes from here. And um, really a t- lot of turning to the Lord among, especially Iraqis and some Middle, East, some Middle Easterners. There's a pastor and his wife who came out of Iraq, and God's just done some amazing things, and they're leading many, many people to the Lord right now. So we want to just praise the Lord for that. I also feel like um, I'm getting to come and be a part of, I feel like I'm the result, actually, of Matt. Matt over here, his brother, and I spent a summer... He and his now wife, they weren't wife, husband and wife at the time, I think they met each other on that trip. We spent a summer in Africa together when I was um, part of, actually right after I finished university. And for those of you who are FSU fans, I went to FSU. And for those of you who are from UF or care about UF, you didn't hear that. <laughs> and so, um, but truthfully, Josh and Angel and I were really caught tight on that trip. And Josh... And I were kind of accountability partners and just really poured into each other's life. And I felt, I mean, he was actually younger than me, but I felt like I learned so much from him. And, and I know just from listening to him that he, was, he had been discipled by Matt. And so I just want to say thanks. And, um, but God is doing some really neat things. Let me tell you just a little bit about who we are. Um, we had been working with the International Mission Board in Indonesia and then in Malaysia, leading teams working among Muslims. And then, so the last place we were was Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, which is, you know, the Petronas Towers. If you guys, what is the, there was a Sean Connery movie that was, had those in it at one point. But very modern city, um, 250 malls um, in that city, 8 million people. We came back to the U.S., and I'm originally from South Carolina. And so our kids had been in Asia, and we came back to the U.S., and um, we went to the mall, the one mall, and um, our kids said, where's the playground? And we're like, sorry, kids, there's no playground here. Because in Malaysia, you know, it's like 95 degrees, 100% humidity every day of the year. And so every mall has a playground, and people hang out inside those places because they have air con and air conditioning, and everyone hangs out in those. And we, so our kids were like, that's okay, let's just go to another mall. And we're like, sorry, kids, there's no other mall, this is it. And um, poor Anna here, we came back in, I guess it was in August, and she just wasn't doing well coming back to America. You know, most of our family, they were all like, 
aren't you so glad you don't have to go there and you're going to stay here and all these things? Because we had some medical issues that were keeping us here and we weren't glad. We were honestly mourning, um, just struggling with the Lord. Why would you give us these issues that make us have to come back when all these other people want to stay in America? We want to go, you know, and we're just wrestling with the Lord in those things. And poor Anna got um, fed up after a while. And we were driving to Virginia, and it was 10 o'clock, and she was late. She was grumpy. She was only about four at the time. And she just said, I'm going back. And back then, you used to call it Alasia. You remember that? She goes, I'm going back to Alasia. And instead of Alasia, we're like, well, Anna will miss you if you go back to Alasia. She's like, well, if you really want to, you can come too, but I'm going. And, you know, she would get sick, and we would try to feed her chicken soup and all the things that were comfort foods to us, you know, and it was fall, so we had not had pumpkin pie and all those fall vegetables here. Our kids hated that stuff. (laughs) You know, she would get sick, and we'd try to feed her those things she wouldn't eat, and finally we fed her rice, and she was all happy. And we had to go find the Indian restaurant in town, the one Indian restaurant in town, and we walk in, and most of you guys probably walk in there and go, ooh, and Anna walks in and goes, what's that wonderful smell? And we just had to start cooking more Asian food and fish ball soup and going to sushi and doing all these things. Our kids still, their favorite, Christmas Eve, we wanna, we're in New York and we don't want to cook on Christmas Eve, you know, because we just want to hang out. So we say, where do you want to go eat tonight for Christmas Eve? Sushi. So we're the weird family that is eating sushi on Christmas Eve. And... Thanksgiving is more like um, roast beef or something. They're not big on turkey for some reason. They didn't grow up with turkey. But we came back and we were praying and saying, it was a time of struggle. And actually, I'd connected with Pastor Mike at that point. We were just struggling, saying, Lord, where do you want us? And God had not removed this calling to reach Muslims from our life. And I was wrestling with the Lord going, How do, what, what do we do with this? You know? I, have to protect, I need to provide for my family, and we've got this issue. We need to stay here, and what are we going to do? I mean, Lord, what do, you, what do you want from us? And we threw out a lot of fleeces, talked to lots of different things, but anyway, ended up going to New York City, and truthfully, the interview, I was going to interview for one job. Did, that didn't work out. It was a horrible interview. I mean, all you know, the things that happened, it was a horrible three days. But we left New York and just could not get the people off our heart. And so three weeks later, we um, said we're coming and moved within two weeks. I became bivocational for a while. I was doing real estate. Um, That was the most weird part of New York compared to anywhere I'd ever lived was real estate. So I thought, hey, this will be fun. Let's go learn. And it gave me access into a lot of communities with Muslims and Hindus and we did. I was full time, basically real estate, bivocational mission, missionary for about a first year, and then things got too busy. And um, God, by in His grace, raised our support to a level that I was able to stop doing that. And so, um, what we found out about New York was this: there were over a million Muslims living in Metro New York. Um, there were four hundred thousand Hindus. There were six hundred fifty thousand Chinese. Uh, 2.2 million Jews, 100,000 Sikhs. And we started looking, and we had been overseas working with unreached people groups. And do you guys know what an unreached people group is? 
Um, the layman's definition, and I like layman's definitions, is it's a group of people that would self-identify as a group. You know, they speak the same language. I always think of them like a tribe. The Cherokee would be a people group. You know what I'm saying? They're, they speak the same language, have the same heritage. You know, they, they sense themselves as a group. That, the missiologists call that an unreached people group. And, those are the, and so an unreached means there's not a church that's viable or in their, in their culture to reach them. So they can't be reached from their own people. Does that make sense? So it mean, what it means for us is unless someone from the outside comes into that group, learns about them, takes the gospel to them, more than likely everyone in that group will die without hearing the name of Jesus. So you with me? In Metro New York City, we started finding out that 19% of the people living in Metro New York City were from groups like that. And so there are all these strategies to reach New York. You know, it's, New York is the place in America people want to go reach. You know, that feels good to go reach New York City. So they, there's all these strategies to reach New York, and all those strategies were overlooking that 19% of people from unreached people groups. And so we moved and began working, and we worked for two years, and you guys were supporting us at that time, sending money to a church in South Carolina who was acting as our finance people and and we just realized um, to do the, get the task done, we were going to have to do some, start something to help us have workers there, missionaries there. And so two years ago, Chris Clayman, the guy with the long beard, goatee thing, strange-looking guy, what's he looks like um, David, what's the guy? Crowder, <laughs> David Crowder. Um, he and I began talking, and he had just released a book that's out on our table. I'm going to leave it with you guys. It's basically profiles of all the people groups, 62 of the most influential people groups in New York City. And we began getting a lot of people saying, I want to come reach this people group. I want to reach Bosnians, or I want to reach Turks, or I want to reach you know, these folks. And we would say, great, you need to start your own nonprofit organization or get some church to handle, let you come on staff that's in Georgia, and, but you live in New York. And you know, just handle your finances forever. And they would, what was happening was people would end up going somewhere else. It was too difficult to come work there in, in those situations. As well as we noticed that people in America were coming and working among these people groups, and they were thinking, well, I'm still in America. But they were spending 90% of their time in a culture that was a foreign culture. You know, everything you saw in that video was shot in America. All those places where you couldn't read the writing and all the people in the street were there. You know, those were shot in America. There, so there's these places where we spend all of our time, and I'm in South Asia all week. And they were surprised when they had culture shock. And, but, and they needed support. And so we started Global Gates two years ago with four um, missionary families. Um, all of us either had come back from the field with IMV because of medical issues or we're trying to go and couldn't go because of medical issues. You know, just small things, juvenile diabetes one guy has and things like that. And the Lord has just knocked our socks off in the last two years. Um, it's grown so that we haven't tried to grow. We've honestly never advertised anything. But today, there's 17 missionary families working with us in six cities across the U.S. Um, with another 20 that are working underneath us, but maybe getting funding through another organization. They're working with another mission organization, but coming under us. And um, even 
IMB, we're working very closely with them right now. Um, they're going to start sending every person going through the training center. Before you go overseas, they'll come spend five days with us in New York before they go overseas because they've recognized they're fine. they have access to people in New York that then they can follow those lines to where they're going. And oftentimes there are people that we can't connect with overseas. So last week, no, two weeks ago, my interns were doing a soccer camp started sharing with this kid who's ninth grade or something. He says, my, my grandmother's sister is the president of Bangladesh. And I said, really? And they started talking. And then his father came. They shared with him. His father invited them to their home. So they spent three hours sharing with the father who this person's mother's sister is the president of Bangladesh. Well, we don't get access to those people overseas. You know, they don't run, we don't run in those circles. We were sharing with a parliamentary member from, from Nepal. Because why? Because he has the money. He comes, New York's the place to go. He comes. A few months ago, I shared with a guy from Oman who's working at the United Nations. And shared with, met with him, shared with him, met with him again, gave him a Bible. He's leaving next week to go to home. Or he was leaving the next week to go to Oman. We're still writing on email. You know, there's just God's giving us all these opportunities, and we feel like we're obligated to take them. My friends who live in Yemen um, have trouble leaving their home because in Yemen the situation is so difficult. Just them being white faces and associated with America is is dangerous. So they literally pay someone to go buy their groceries and bring it back to their house because it's too dangerous for them to go into the markets. In New York, there's 50,000 Yemenis. And if you came with me tomorrow, we would go there and we could share with them all day long, we, couldn't, we, could, we would run out of time before we ran out of people we could meet and share Christ with. And all those people are going home to Yemen every year or two and spending one to two months in Yemen. And they hold a passport can take them right into that country. So God's just giving us a lot of really great opportunities. I'd love to sit down if anyone you guys want to talk later more and share more with you about those things. But just really ask you to pray for us um, we're seeing God open some doors right now that we've not seen our whole ministry time there. Um, while I've been here, there, I keep getting calls. Someone, so-and-so trusted the Lord. We're doing baptism next week. You know, we, did, we baptized a Muslim guy a couple of weeks ago in a swimming pool. And, you know, he's meeting right now. And so the church in New York is praying for your church today as well while we're here. And they're meeting together and they're praying for our time and praying for you that you will be, reached by, be used by the Lord to reach Jacksonville and Uly and Amelia Island and into Georgia. When I look at you guys, I, you are the hope of this part of the world. You are the hope for your families. You are the hope for your friends. You are the hope. You are the hope at your place of employment. Those are the places God's put you. I have a friend in India who does... Do um, you know George Tupper? Yeah. He does... It's training called Tree of Life Training, and he's re- dealing with rural people. And he draws this, this little thing up here. And I, my, my guys in, in New York always make fun of me because my PowerPoint is usually a manila a pad. And I'll hold it up and I'll draw something. But he'll draw basically two ponds. And he says, this one pond is the pond of death, and that's where you used to be. You were living in this pond of death, just swimming, swimming, swimming around this pond of death, and God saved you and miraculously transferred you to the pond of life, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You know, he's talking with farmers, so he's talking these ponds. 
He says, but God didn't just leave you sitting in this little pond of life to enjoy life and kick back. He gave you a job and he puts you back up on, this, on the shore and gives you a job to fish. You're a fisher of men now and you're fishing for these people in the pond of death. And your, your job is to bring them from the pond of death into the pond of life. He said, the trick is, though, I can't fish in your pond and you can't fish in my pond. Because, see, you don't live in my neighborhood. You don't know my neighbors. You don't know my family. You don't know my friends. You don't know who I went to high school with. God, those are people in my pond and they're my responsibility to reach. But I also don't know the people who live in your pond. I don't know the person who sits beside you at work. I don't know the person who sits, who, you know, you carpool with, if you guys do that. I don't know if you do that down here. I don't know the people that you're interacting with. I don't know your mother. And if someone's going to reach your mom or your dad or your coworker, it's going to be you because God's given you. Your job is to empty your pond of lost people. Sometimes we'll make a list of everyone we know who's far from God. And we'll, every week we'll try to share Christ with people off that list. And we'll say, by God's grace, one day my list will be clean. And won't, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to offer to Jesus when you went to heaven? Here's my list. Those you gave to me. Those who belong to me. Here's the list. There's nothing on the list. Yeah, because they're all right here. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Let me share with you a, something we train a lot of times with our folks in New York. And this will kind of be our sermon for today. Um, I make no claims that all oh, this is mine. I think everything's out there stolen. And so we just praise the Lord for people gone before us and we can use and adapt and learn from each other. But, you know, we believe that most Christians... Now, you guys may not fit into this category, but most in the U.S. do. Most Christians are not experiencing the joy of Christ because we're not doing what we were created for. We've settled for a nice life. We've settled for safety. We've settled for cars and houses. But we, and they, they feel good, but they're not joyful. We don't have the joy that comes from fulfilling what God created us to do. And what did God create us to do? Jimmy read it, Matthew 28. Go make disciples. That's his last command. He's five times in the New Testament. We have it. I mean, that's pretty important. So he put it there five times. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. All have that. Go make disciples. But a lot of times people don't do it because they're like, well, why should I do it? Because, well, you know, you just get into life. And I want to walk you through some things in Scripture that talk about this. So you're going to need to be a little interactive with me. It's getting close to lunchtime. We'll keep you here. But think of this more as training than preaching. Does that make sense? Um, I like to train. I, don't, I try to say, I don't teach anymore. I never teach. Because what do you hear when you think teach? You think just take information in. So I want to be a coach or a trainer because I'm coaching you to go do something or training you to go engage in the game, right? So in Scripture, there's a call from Jesus. You remember in Mark 16, the counterpart to what Jimmy read, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. In Isaiah 6, we have an Old Testament example, 6 to 8, where Isaiah's there and he's saying, Lord, the Lord says, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, send me. Remember that? 
So let me ask you a question. It's okay to respond and talk back. Who's talking when this, when, who's talking to Isaiah saying, go? Who's making that statement? Who says, whom shall I send? God. Who says to the disciples, go and make disciples? Who says that? Jesus, God. Where is Jesus now and where is God? Where is Jesus and God now? Where are they? In heaven. So everyone do this. Raise your hand. You can do it. Everyone who comes to New York knows I love hand motions. You will all, you'll feel silly, but you'll remember. Okay, say this. The call from above, call from above. Tells, us tells us to go. Say it again. You've got to practice it. The call from above tells us to go. And if you were in New York, I'd have somebody come up here and lead you and teach you. Right? Because you're a disciple and a disciple becomes a teacher. Right? Biblical definition of disciple is someone who is with Jesus, obeys Jesus, and makes more disciples. Everything you learn, you're responsible to pass on. So I want you to get good at it. You with me? Okay, so the first call is from above. And this is the one we all know. If I said, does Jesus tell us to go make disciples? Everyone in this room would say, yes. There's another call that comes from the book of Luke. And in the book of Luke, um, in, in chapter 16, we see the story of Lazarus and the rich man. You guys remember that story? You with me? Lazarus has leprosy. I think it's leprosy, right? And he's a beggar. And he's sitting at the door of the rich man just trying to get the scraps. And the rich man comes in and out, in and out, in and out, and just ignores him. Right? You're with me? Well, what happens? Lazarus and the rich man die. And we get a picture into what the afterlife is like, at least at this point. Lazarus is in heaven. I think in Luke they call it Abraham's bosom. As a kid, I thought that was really funny. The um, rich man is where? Hell. And there we get in to see this dialogue between Abraham and the rich man. And the rich man first says, Abraham, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus to do what? Give me some water. I'm in torment. And Abraham says, no, it doesn't work like that. There's a big chasm between us and you. It doesn't work like that. And then the rich man says, well, if he can't come here, will you do what? What does he tell him? Then I beg you, send Lazarus back from the dead to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Tell him to warn them, because if he would warn them, maybe they won't come to this place. You with me? You remember that? Have you ever thought about that? Every person who's ever died in their sins... Every Muslim, every Hindu, every Sikh, every American materialist, every secular humanist now knows the truth. They may have denied the truth their whole life. But they still love their wife. They still love their kids. They still want the best for their kids. And you know what they're in hell saying? They're cheering for you, the church. They're begging you, the church. Please go tell my family about the Lord. Because their time is gone, right? They're gone. This rich man said, this is such a horrible place. And the rich man wasn't a good guy. I mean, we watched him go past Lazarus and ignore him. 
Even the rich man in hell would say, please go tell my family. This is such a horrible place. I don't want them to come here. There's a call. We call this the call from below. The call from hell that tells us to go. So let's do those two calls with me. The call from above. Come on. Tells us to go. The call from below tells us to go. Look to your neighbor and tell them. Teach them that. You know, when we talk about this, when we talk about this part, I'm often reminded of how lackadaisical we can be about our families. You know, people will come to New York City and they'll go share Christ with a Muslim and those same people will go home and not share Christ with their wife. Or they'll come and they'll share with a stranger and they'll go home and not share with their brother. And I tell every group that comes, wouldn't it be a shame? One day you get to heaven and there's Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists in heaven because you are willing to share with strangers. But your brother's in hell. And you're best friends in hell because you weren't willing to go home and tell them. I don't try to guilt trick you in it. This is just, this is reality. You know, we think, we we usually go, oh, I have a lot of time. I'll share with them. They're not ready. One day they'll be ready. Really what we mean is, maybe one day someone else will tell them. And we just live in this state that's really an emotionally dead state where we, di- we refuse to deal with reality that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. You know, I, I always talk about the Philippian jailer. Remember him? Luke 16. Midnight, Paul and Silas are in jail singing praises to the Lord. You know, I'm probably complaining like I was when we were back to the U.S. Lord, what are you doing? We want to be there. But not Paul and Silas. What are they doing? They're praising the Lord. Everyone seemed to, to get it except the Philippian jailer. And he runs in. He's ready to commit suicide because it would be better to kill himself than to suffer what he's going to suffer for letting all these prisoners escape. Paul says, stop, and that man is saved. And it says he took Paul and Silas so much for letting them escape. He's got them. He takes them to his house. Remember me? Remember? What time do you think it is by now? One, two in the morning, right? So what does that mean he does? He goes, wake up, wake up. Get up, get up, get out of bed. Everyone out of bed. I'm sure people are jumping up, screaming, angry with him. What do you think you're doing? It's two in the morning. You're not even supposed to be home. You know, get up, get up, get up. And it says, Paul preaches. And it says, him and his whole household are baptized. Are you so concerned about the salvation of someone you love that you'd be willing to wake them up? You know, most of us go, we'll wait for a better time. Wait for a better time. Wait for a better time. I told the last group, I love flying. But, you know, in the last few months, there's been a lot of planes go down. <laughs> and I don't, it's, it's not such a big thing for me, but my poor wife, she's terrified of flying. And so she's watching us get on a plane without her. She's, she's nervous that we're flying. You know, I think in her mind it's better if we're all together. If we're all going to go down, we'll all go together <laughs> instead of being separate. But no one who got on those planes thought they were going to perish that day. You know, they didn't get on the plane going, this is it. 
I've had a great life. No one who was killed in a car accident last week ever dreamed they were going to die the moment they got in that car. You know? We are not guaranteed tomorrow. Don't let your... Do you know how much you're going to regret it when someone you love dies and you didn't share Christ with them and God's been laying them on their, your heart? Don't put it off. There's another call we see in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about this call that comes from within him. From the moment he trusted Christ, he had this... He said, I'm indebted to the lost. I was the chief of sinners. I did not deserve Jesus, and Jesus gave me life. Now I have a debt to pay to the lost. And he says, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me, that gives me no ground for boasting. I can't even be proud of it. For a necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not pre- preach the gospel. He says, I feel like I'm cursed if I don't preach the gospel. I've got to preach the gospel. And then he says, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. So he said, I'm do- even if I did it on my own, I could get reward. But I don't even do- get reward because it's not even on me. I have to do it. Was there ever a time in your life where you just felt this inside you had to share the gospel? Unfortunately for most of us, that probably, a lot of us, that was right after we were, became a believer. And some of us haven't felt that since. I want to encourage you, let that part of you that God says, this is the good news. I found bread. I need to go give bread to these other hungry people. I found the way. My sins are forgiven. Let that compel you. So do it. let's do it with me. The call from above tells us to go. The call from below tells us to go. The call from inside tells us to go. And the final call came from outside. And that's in Acts 16, where Paul's getting ready to go somewhere, and he has a dream, a vision. And there's a man from Macedonia calling Paul, saying, come share the gospel with us. You remember that? We call him Macedonians. All my internationals call him Macedonia. The man from Macedonia. He, and what does Paul do? What does he do? He goes. Isn't it simple? The gospel is so simple. The commands of God are so simple, they're just not easy. You know, Jesus said, go, heal the sick, and preach the kingdom. Okay, go. Finished. We're done. Go. That's hard to do. There are people right now in Yuli. Last night they were on their bed contemplating suicide. Contemplating, saying, God, if you're real, prove it to me. Show me something. Send someone to tell me how... I don't know how to get out of this situation. Send someone to tell me. And 1 Corinthians tells us that we have experienced hardships, that through those hardships we are able to help others who are experiencing hardships. You know? Sometimes in New York, I'll get in a cab and the guy will say, where are you going? And if I'm listening with my spiritual ears, I'll hear him say, and will you tell me the gospel? God, the Holy Spirit is at work. Do you believe that? You were asleep last night. The Holy Spirit didn't sleep. He's out convicting people of their sins. He is. He's convicting people of their sins. Some, but without hearing truth, they don't have enough to be forgiven. They don't have enough. 
Romans 1 tells us just nature is not enough to show us the truth of God. That's where you come in. You will never know the condition of the person heart, person's heart that you want to talk with until you sprinkle a little bit of the gospel on it. Watch how they respond. They say, I want nothing to do with that. Oh, that was path. They're not ready, and we're praying for them. But you can't tell someone who's ready to hear the gospel and someone who's not just by looking at them. We all look good on the outside. I dare say, just before you became a follower of Jesus on the outside, you probably looked pretty good. But we know inside you weren't good. You weren't doing well. You know, for me, I, was, I wasn't sleeping at night before I came to know the Lord. And God saved me and freed me from that. But on the outside, everyone would have thought I was the best. I, was, I had it all together. The downside that we as a church have sometimes is we just make ourselves so pretty and so beautiful. And we're, we come and we look beautiful, but inside we're dying. You know, sometimes the world's much more, has much more integrity than we do with what's going on. You know, you go to a bar and listen to people talk. They're going to tell the truth. I'm this or I'm struggling with this. My wife's about to leave me. That same guy might come to church and look nice the next day. You know, we've got to get good at talking with people in the real, who we are, where we're struggling. Because God knows. So there's this call from outside saying, share the gospel with me. There's people waiting to hear the gospel. There's someone waiting to hear the truth. You might be the one going to bump into them today. Say it with me. The call from above tells me to go. call from below tells us to go. call from inside tells me to go. And the call from outside tells me to go. Do you hear those calls? Do you see those calls in Scripture? Most of us know the call from inside and the call from above. We've never thought about all those people who have died that are just pleading for us to share with their, their family. Or those on the outside who are longing to hear and no one's here to tell them. Most people in Jacksonville, let me let you in on a secret, they do not go, they don't look at a church building and think, I need to go in there to find truth. If they've never been in a church building, most of those people are intimidated by these buildings. But that's why God is so lovely, because you are the church. And the church will go rub up, rub shoulders with them. You, the church, will work with them tomorrow. You will go say hello to them tonight when you're out raking your yard or whatever you do here in Florida. You know, try to get away from the heat. God's given you this. You say, okay, I got it. I said, but what do I do? What do I do? Tell them what the Lord did for you. We think, I don't have enough training. I can't do it. Do you remember the Philippian, I mean, not Philippian, the demon-possessed man? You guys remember that guy in Mark 5? He got saved, radically changed. He tells Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. You remember that? That's what we all would love. If he had been my disciple, I'd have him on stage. We'd go on tour. You know, look at this guy, formerly known as the demon-possessed man. Look what Jesus can do. But Jesus had a different plan. What did Jesus tell him to do? He said, no, you can't go with me. He said, go back to the, your family and their people 
and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. How many sermons had that guy heard? He was probably only in his right mind for about half of that sermon, you know, so maybe half a sermon. And yet Jesus trusted him to go share Christ. You don't have a Bible degree? Great. Do you know the Lord? You have a story to tell. You know, I once was lost, but now I'm found. My life was this. Jesus helped me here. Sometimes it's still good, sometimes it's bad, but I'd never go back. Go share that. That's more powerful than you standing up and giving them a dissertation on why they need, why they're totally depraved and, you know, they need sanctification, you know. Just be honest with them. They're not looking for religion. They're looking for hope. They're looking for salvation. We tell our folks, hear their story, share your story, share God's story. All right, simple. Go be a learner. Learn about them. Hear their story. You're going to find out your story and their story connects at some point. And in the middle of that, you'll share your story. And your story better include God's story. And from that, you go get messy and muddy, dirty with them and help them know how to get clean. You know, you're just helping them get clean. When I see you guys, I see the hope for Jacksonville. You are harvesters. You know, Jesus tells us, he doesn't tell us to go pray for the harvest. He says, pray for laborers. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. You're, look at this. Can you imagine if this whole group of people was obedient to the Lord, what would our life be like next week? Okay, I want you to do one thing for me. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say, there's, I want you to talk to your neighbor, and I want you to say this. The one thing that God is impressing upon me in this script, this is what God showed me today as we talked about things. This is one thing God showed me that I hadn't thought about before. Okay? You with me? What is one thing God showed you that in this scriptures? What's something God opened your eyes to in our talks? Or it, it may have nothing to do with what I said, but the Spirit said something different to you. So turn to your neighbor. This is unusual, I know. It's going to be a little loud. Ready, set, go. You can talk. What did God speak to you about today? Good. Keep talking. What did God speak to you about today? Now I got one more thing you got to talk to your neighbor about. What do you need to do in response to what God told you? You know, Satan could care less what you know. If you leave here, if you guys leave here and you just got a little more knowledge and don't do anything different, I wasted my whole day. You'll never change the world by getting smart. You'll change the world by obeying. So look to your neighbor. And my act of obedience in response to the Word of God is this, this week. What will you do differently this week? Okay, go.
If you're not going to do it, be honest. Tell them I'm not going to do anything. Be honest, at least own it. But if God's laying on your heart, what are you going to do different this week? I want to pray for you. And then we'll have Pastor Mike come. Pray with me.